on an unnamed island off an unnamed coast. Objects are disappearing. First hats, then ribbons, birds, roses, until things become more and more serious. Most of the island's inhabitants are oblivious to these changes, while those few imbued with the power to recall the lost objects live in fear of the draconian memory police, who are committed to ensuring that what was disappeared remains forgotten. When a young woman who is struggling to maintain her career as a novelist discovers that her editor is in danger from the memory police, she concocts a plan to hide him beneath her floorboards. As fear and loss close in around them, they cling to her writing as the last way of preserving the past. You're an inhumane bunch of fucking living bastards and bitches, and you're going to get your asses nuked in the end. Welcome to another extremely late episode of the Books They Speak podcast. My name is Braden Turen, one of your two hosts on this literary journey you're about to embark on. I edit the show, which is why you're all inevitably uh, to get this little solo spiel at the head of each episode. So I get the privilege of spilling my guts and hearing my own voice just a little bit more, just to, just to tickle my ego. Um... 
You may have noticed the intro song was a little angrier than usual. Well, I'm angry. Angry at so much of the bullshit that's been going on as of late, both close to home and distant. I won't get into it, but a band like Dragon the Sunlight always helps stave off the frustration. So, there you go. If you're actually following up from our last episode, where Dayton and our guest Sean and I uh, dug into the great god Pan, well, I applaud and thank you. Life has been a bit hectic as of late, uh, for both Dayton and myself. We've both just undergone that dreaded and arduous process known as moving. One that everybody must undertake at some point, I, I should hope. Not to mention the fact that we have day jobs, and gosh darn it, making a podcast is way more work than I had initially thought when I had first posed the idea to Dayton on a on a whim, a wayward whim. But despite the work it takes to plan, coordinate, and ultimately execute each of these episodes of the show, I still would say it's worth it. Not only is it an avenue through which Dayton and I get to explore and expound upon various pieces of literature we might not have selected otherwise on our own, uh, it's also a way for two good friends to stay in touch when one has moved to the UK and the other, me, resides in good old Vancouver, BC, Canada. Just before we get into the nitty-gritty of our main topic... I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened and continues to listen. Uh, I haven't shown the greatest discipline when it comes to putting these out, but I have no intention of stopping, so sorry, I guess? Uh, I'm not sure about you, but in the recent decade, I've come to find the new medium of podcasting to be revelatory. I look at it as radio, but hyper-tuned, to the most minute of uh, niche interests. Maybe it's more than radio. But I, I don't know. It's what I always wanted before I knew I wanted it. Over the years, I've been an avid listener of a wide variety of podcasts, and me being me, eventually felt a drive to try it out myself. Now, this is actually not my first podcast. A few years ago, I attempted a misbegotten endeavor I called Extremist Views, where I would gush about a few bands, a movie, or, and a book or a comic I was reading at the time. And for some reason, I could only manage to put it out on YouTube. Don't ask me why. I'm not good with tech. You can probably tell that from the sound quality. I'm working on it. Anyway, enough about that. But uh, now that I'm saying this, uh, I'm immediately regretting it, since it might prompt some folks to dredge up those old relics. So all I can say is, I discourage you from trying to find them. <laughs> uh, anyways, it wasn't until last year that I posed the question to Dayton prior to his leaving for the UK for good. He and I had a mean streak of long-winded, multi-hour conversations on books, movies, philosophy, and whatnot. So before he left, I posed the question of whether he would like to take this on with me. And uh, there you have it, a podcast was born. For better or for worse, I don't know. You be the judge. Anyways, that's just a small insight into how this whole thing came to be. Like I said, podcasts have been a huge part of my life and make my work days a little less mind-numbing. So if this is some, if this somehow does the same for you, the listener, or even just offers a modicum of entertainment, um, that's what this is all about, and I could not be happier. Now, 
the topic at hand. The book we are discussing today is A Dayton Selection. This is The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. Uh, now, I've never read a novel by a Japanese author until now, uh, and I was quite honestly blown away by this particular piece. The voice that Ogawa writes with is unlike anything I've read before. There's an almost unnerving simplicity and gentle, soft-spoken quality to her writing that adds so much to the story she's telling. Uh, for it is, uh, it is one of subtle horror, uh, which we'll get into in, in the episode, uh, in the discussion. I really hope our conversation will turn you on to this one, because The Memory Police is well worth your time, and a book that I will not forget for a long, long time. Uh, now, without further ado, here's The Memory Police. Uh, wow, this was, uh, this was a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. It's uh, I, uh, arguably too long. Um. It's okay. I mean, it, I took, it took me forever to finish reading, partially because of like, the whole move situation and, uh, mm-hmm. and all that, but uh, I, did yeah. re- I did really enjoy it. It's, uh, oh. t- towards the end, it got, almost, it got a bit debilitating, I'll be honest. It, like and it the, absolutely does. Not to say that's no like that's not to say the book was not like good. It's just like the nature of the story and what happened. I was like, oh my gosh, it's just yeah, so. It, it's heavy. Yeah. Um, it's it's really heavy, and it gets. I found like um, as a preface, like with the memory police, I I think that like its original English translation only came out in 2019. Um, which was actually the first time I picked up the book and why I wanted to, to, you know, bring it up for us. Right. Was that, you know, that Christmas I was, uh, well, not exactly Christmas, but in that December, um, I picked this up and I read it when I was visiting my mom in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, and man, it just, it affected me. Like it really, it's, you know, every once in a while you find a novel and, you pick it up, you kind of go through it. You don't realize how much of an impact it has on you until you finish the book. And this one, I finished it kind of on the last night that I was staying down in the States. And, oh, oh my God, it just, it stuck with me so much for so long. Um, and I figured you would really enjoy it too. It's uh, It has a lot of hallmarks of some of the stories that you really like, especially from, you know, when we were younger, when we were in <laughs> uh, like our, our English lit class. Yeah. And, you know, going through all that. But I love that it feels very fresh as well. Like, it, it certainly has a lot of the DNA of, like, the Orwellian style of uh, dystopia in terms of, like, you know, um, a, an overly power, powerful state controlling everything. Um, mm-hmm. And this this foreboding sense of, you know, hopelessness in the world. Um, that the characters don't necessarily share and fight against. Yeah. Um, although it is immeasurably bleak. Um, it is, but I, one thing I found so um, particular about, and maybe it's also the nature of the translation, but I found the the writer's voice to be, even despite these instances of, of like, such... Um, such like complete uh like loss and 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 like existential dread there's the mm-hmm. the author's voice remained i felt gentle and almost calm throughout the whole thing very I, stoic almost gentle 
gentle is such a good word i think because there's so much about this book that is it's tender Mm -hmm. in how it wants to tell you the story and especially when they recall like their parents and like the early stuff in the book you see like the repetition of language from the beginning when they're talking about losing like when the birds disappeared etc etc right there's so much there's almost like this this deafening lack of emotion about it and i think that's what really kind of cements that turn in the novel when we go from you know her seeing everything as it disappears and struggling to hold on to those memories until they are just gone right to the absolute horror of you know we never truly switch perspectives but i think what really sells the book for me is in that second half when we start to see her assistant really care about her and have him watch as you know not to get too heavy into spoilers for the book but the the disappearance of people and particularly the disappearance of the the you know the protagonist yeah wow like it is so brutally done and what a cunning and and terrible way for this police state to find out who is and isn't affected by this uh this memory you know execution is basically by erasing everybody that this does affect like it's so dark yeah it so when i initially when you pitched the uh when you pitched the book to me and you're telling me about it, yeah. I had this idea, oh, it's going to be a commentary on, you know, totalitarianism or on, you know, government sure. um, involvement or, or, you know, um, domination over the people. But I, I found it, I was surprised at how little the memory police actually were like factored into the book. They, oh, yeah. they always felt like this ominous force in the background, but they, and I also, I mean, um, spoilers to anybody but it's i mean it's not a huge spoiler but i also particularly liked how you never really find out yeah you you never really get any answers about them no what their deal is you know and i really like that and i also felt that it put what i felt was the real subject or the real focus of the story um at the forefront and which what i felt was um I just felt like the whole book was almost a dialogue the author was having you, uh, having with you about, um, about like existential exis- existentialism and people's relationship to, to things. Yeah. You know uh, that that's how I read it, and and how it, it made me think about, um, it made me think about the the actual emotions and the the feelings and the importance we each of us place in these inanimate objects that absolutely without us really have, they are nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically it's, it's, you're totally hitting the nail on the head when it comes to like the existentialist discussion that it brings up, I feel because there's so much to be said about what our memories as people have context within. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's about how you construct the idea of something even when it's physical things still exist. Like there's that, the horrifying moment when people's limbs start disappearing in their heads um, in the book. And the idea there's, there's one particular line where she talks about how though the empty shell will remain, what, what is here is not my arm nor my leg. Right. It's so 
it's incredibly haunting to hear because, you know, it doesn't matter if the thing is physically gone or eradicated. The fact that your mental ability to perceive it as an individual thing disappears mm. is what's really horrifying. Like, so, so then it might as well be gone. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's the point of what the author brings on because in addition to all this stuff about, you know, the relationship to inanimate objects, I think it also ends up being about the author's relationship with other people. Right. Um, especially when it comes to all the relationships they have with their parents, mm -hmm. um, the main character and developing the relationship with the assistant. Um, there's so much that kind of is about context. And when you take away context, nothing really matters, I guess is what the novel tries to, to put out there for you. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a beautiful thing as well. Um, where even though, you know, the, the, the character is, is, you know, fading away and going through this whole process towards the end of the book, the partner isn't sad about them being discovered, being taken away by the memory police. They're sad because the memories will stay for them and disappear for somebody else. And that's what's so powerful, I think, too, is that it's almost a story about um, interpersonal relationships and how we see everybody around us and how we live in the context of their lives, which is very powerful stuff, especially when you read it in that very gentle prose like you're talking about, where the author isn't forcing you. They, they don't force you into those emotions, I feel. No. The book is very open to, to letting you interpret the text and having you really draw on the power of those words, um, which I really find incredibly refreshing, um, especially for a fairly modern book. I mean, like the original printing was in 94, I believe. In yeah. Japanese. And then again, yeah. like only translated a couple of years ago. Um, so super fresh feeling for sure. Yeah. It, I just, I couldn't get over how, like how, if a, maybe a, a European or an American author uh, would have written this, it, I feel like it would be much more heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not to say that it's because the author's Japanese, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's also the nature of their language. And, and, and yeah, you know, I, that's true. Um, I also found, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to, I, I, as like a, uh, disclaimer, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, uh, evoke any stereotypes, but I think there's the, there's that traditional sense or idea that Japanese people are very uh, can be very stoic can be yep. very uh, uh, you know steadfast in in the face of a of an obstacle or of work that needs to be done I mean you, you can see that in their modern day as well as through like through history you know how they came out of the war oh, yeah. post Hiroshima you know there's just this steadfast sure. like headstrong nature to them and, and also a stoic nature to them too. And I wonder if I, I feel like, um, I feel like that coming from that, a society like that, the author, I feel, I feel like that probably fed into yeah. a lot of, a lot of the, uh, and I could see it in a lot of how the, the people of this Island and how you, it's this, you know, anonymous fictional Island in the book, these people, like they're saddened for a moment by these things that disappear, but just as quickly as these things disappear, they're very quick to just get on with their lives and just make it work. To move on. 
Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, I was like, man, this would never happen in the U.S. So this would never happen. No. Everybody would be complaining and shit. And I, uh, I feel like there's something about Japanese culture where it's it seems more believable that the people would just instead of complaining about it, they would just find a way to to uh, adapt. Oh, for sure. I think like the cultural resonance of this book, it you know, it's written throughout the whole thing. Um, especially when you consider the you know those steadfast differences of North American culture mm-hmm. and Japanese culture, and and how you know you're right. I think there is a certain stoicism to it. I think historically speaking, there's a lot of context there, um, and I also think too there is just a certain sense of like politeness and um, professionalism that exists in Japanese culture that maybe doesn't exist in North American culture. Um, Like I had said before, I think the closest analog to this of something that we may have read when we were younger may be, um, you know, it could be 1984, could definitely be, especially with that. And that kind of is the more Britishism of that kind of literature, especially when Big Brother is mentioned and that whole thing. This feels like a very different cultural take on something like that. Yeah. And it also felt a lot like Huxley's work. Um, yeah. To me, it really reminded me of, you know, his style of writing, um, specifically like when we read. When we read uh, Bra- Bra- that Brave New lovely World? book that I cannot remember the title of. It's Brave New Brave World. Brave New World. That's <laughs> wow. Yes, it was Brave New World. Yeah. Um, I remember reading that book with you way, 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 way Oh, back yeah. I loved that um, book. And, oh, same. And I, honestly, I feel like um, our discussions uh, on that is kind of a really good place where this whole podcast kind of came from. Yeah, um, no, for sure. And I can totally see that with the idea of the, of the, like, this totalitarian regime having such complete control of the, of the society over which it kind of governs. Uh, yeah. I, I can totally see the similarities in that way. Absolutely. I think that what really characterizes it, like you were saying, is the cultural difference, mm-hmm. um, especially coming from, you know, both those authors are <laughs> certainly not um, of a Japanese background. That being said, you know, Huxley and um, George Orwell both are, you know, well-educated English writers who at the end of the day came from a very similar background and those stories you can really see that opinion reflected in right what i found so nice about this being a little bit more contemporary is that i feel like it does not hit you over the head mallet with what it's trying to say mm-hmm. um it also felt immensely more personal like you're talking about there's this real sense that you are not here for like the world building is excellent don't get me wrong that's mm-hmm. this is not a critique on it in any way but I do think that the world building is less important in the memory police than the work that they do with the characters. And it's more of a, you know, if, if this ever got adapted into a film, it would be a concept film. Like oh, you, yeah. could, you could write this down in one sentence and you could say, this is what this is. And people would buy it because yeah. it's so much more universal as a concept than those other books. Yeah. This kind of touches on something that I wanted to bring up. Uh, and I think it's sort of what uh, also makes it differ from uh, works of Orwell or Huxley in that I found the memory police to be driven uh, by a profound sense of dream logic 
which I yep. which I loved, uh, especially when it comes to the disappearances. Because when when stuff first starts to dis- to disappear, the nature of its disappearance is kind of confusing. You're like, yeah. wait, but there are birds there. Like when the birds disappear, there are still birds. The birds maybe haven't literally disappeared, but in these people's hearts and minds, they have. So they might as well just not have existed in the first place. And it's such a weird, uh, a weird inner mechanism that you kind of just have to somewhat yeah. uh, suspend your logic and just go with. And once you do that, it makes sense. It's true. Um, which I loved, and yeah, it, it I, added there's... to this like it added to this like nightmarish quality to it. Yes. Yeah. I 100% agree. I think that there's a real sense of the... um, It almost gets uh, cosmic in terms of its horror because it's literally about losing... The way I read it anyway, in terms of the dream logic, um, I'm not sure if you agree with this, but it does almost feel like they lose a little bit of their sanity each time too. Oh, for Um, sure. As soon as they... You know, there's this lack... It's cognitive dissonance of seeing something, knowing what it is, and then suppressing it. Right. And that's so dark. Like, it's so, so dark in a way that I think, you know, those other the books that I would consider like um, almost earlier, not contemporaries, but predecessors to something like this. Yeah, it that's not something that they do. Um, they touch upon it in terms of like the torture scenes in 1984 and that kind of thing about how they force him to kind of change his mind and brainwash him, do the whole thing. Um but in this, it's so subtle, and it's so, you know, they, they feel like they own the world, these memory police. And yeah. the fact that we never really interact with them in a direct way, that sells it for me. Yeah, It kind of makes it this omnipotent force that is literally just forgetting, and that is horrible. Yeah, and it was – because when, when I first started the book – I was already guessing, like, oh, okay, what's to do with the memory police? And part of me was like, oh, is it going to be aliens? Is it going to be a simulation? Or is it going to yeah. be some, like, weird social, like, like horrible social experiment where these people on this island are just an experiment for the outside world to see what happens when they slowly remove uh, aspects of their life? You know, I thought it was going to be that. But I was thrilled when there was – I was thrilled and there was no answer. It was great. And it, yeah, yeah, it totally adds that, that idea of cosmic horror where you, you can't understand. You aren't meant to understand, yes. you know, you just, and, and I, um, that's one thing I really applaud this book for. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I also felt like, uh, what these people are continuously deprived of certain aspects of their life. And they continuously, mm-hmm. time after time, adapt to it, adapt to a a, uh, a progressive uh, like erosion of everything that fills their lives, to the point where I almost got the sense that by doing that, they're kind of taking away these people's um, the fullness of their life, or just the, what makes a life a life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and it almost, by the time people's limbs start to disappear, it almost feels like these people are more objects themselves. Yes. You know, where, where yep. I'm not, and, and that might also be a comment by the author in, in her making, uh, or, you know, contemplating the idea of, you know, uh, how much items and things in our life make up who we are. 
and maybe that's a maybe she sees that as a sad thing or a bad thing like perhaps this book is a commentary on how we shouldn't let these um these items these objects make up who we are because then if something like this were to happen we would still retain ourselves um yeah i, I don't i don't know well maybe now that i'm thinking about like birds don't really and, and there's the rose never mind uh well i think i think you're onto something there but i almost think that um in terms of like again it, it i love this i love that this is what you're getting out of this because my interpretation of it was almost the opposite my interpretation of the novel was almost that all these things that we take is so trivial whether it is sitting and watching the birds or her dad you know like interactions with her father to these new relationships that he develops as a character later on in the book you know all of these things have equal weight right and that's something that i wasn't expecting there's there's no real definite moment where you realize that she's lost everything because as everything continues to disappear it's all an equal death right right i feel like there's this real grim sense of 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 dread on losing not necessarily your life as a concept of how we see it in western culture mm -hmm. but in terms of losing life as in what makes life worth living yeah and like, that in and of itself is is so unique i think to this book yeah like case in point when the main character the the, the main character for the for the listeners the main character who is never named she is mm -hmm. a novelist and then at one point in the book novels disappear and so that's not just an object that's her entire vocation that's her life's calling is disappeared and she has to somehow it almost feels like she doesn't even have a choice uh, like she tries to, uh she tries to resist forgetting tries to resist losing yeah. it but it almost seems overnight her ability to actually formulate stories and formulate strings of words is completely uh made null you know, and yeah. uh, oh man, that's oof. yeah. It's just and the way yeah, like going back to how the the author words it. It's just this yeah, this calm prose, and it it makes it's a very subtle uh, form of really intense horror. To or at least that's how I found it. You know, like it it seems very I quiet, agree. but under the surface, it's very visceral emotionally. I think that's what really sells it to me, too, is this idea that we, you know, there is no sense of urgency in them losing the memory. They they don't even try to stop it, with the exception of her, like, quote-unquote, resisting. But there really is no way that you can, you know, fight this. Yeah. It's such a particular, very, very particular feeling to lose your sense of what makes who you are. And, like, I've always found that in novels that kind of try to explore this, um, especially in something like um, there is a lovely uh, book called um, Pebble in the Sky that I think I've spoken to you about before, Brayden. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really deals with this as well because there's this sense um, of losing yourself that they you basically subject the main character in that novel to. It's, it's an Asimov book. Um, like oh, gotcha. mid nineteen, I guess early nineteen fifties um, science fiction novel. Um, basically, this man just he pops forward like a few millennia and is greeted by the people of the future, who are basically like, 
more of a community collective, less individualized, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of go through his role of kind of integrating into this world that exists, you know, however long in the future. And in that, you really see him, you know, fight with losing what he considers his humanity, even when he's confronted with a humanity that, you know, doesn't feel very human. Right. Um, I think the irony is that in this book, having that happen to one particular person, it's happening to the world in the memory police. Yeah. You know what I mean? When they talk about the snow falling, there's such lovely metaphors in that of, like, everything being covered over. And just becoming this white, like, blank, empty page that everybody kind of exists in as yeah. they are disappearing themselves. And that, I've never read anything that comes close to that in terms of a sense of of almost acceptance of loss. Yeah, There's something really cathartic towards the end of the book where, you know, she, you know, hiding herself away. As, as a way to escape the police, you know, she ends up down in that cellar yep. and she's hidden away with all the things. And I think that, like you were talking about, that relationship that the author seems to present about things and people and how that context is like, it's intrinsically linked about how we experience the world because is there that much of a difference between ourselves and the world we occupy? I don't right. think so. Um I, I just find that that is so, again, unique. In all these other stories, it feels like the characters get beaten down into becoming like everything else. In this one, she already is like everything else, and that's almost the problem, right. is that it's all disappearing for her, um, which is weird. It's strangely beautiful. There's a real sense of poetry to this novel and a real sense of, um, I guess, understanding that we as readers only get to see from the outside even when we're in her mind i think that's such a lovely quality to this book and at the end of the day i think that's what draws me to it the most is that we ourselves feel like outsiders when in reality we're all a part of the narrative which is kind of you know an intrinsic way to look at existentialism right, right. if you see yourself in the world and you see yourself only as an observer similar to how the character does in the novel um, in terms of her writing, right? Right. The irony of us reading a novel about a novelist is the same irony as us thinking we're observers of the world we inhabit. Right. Oh, interesting. Which I love. Like, there's there's such a, a beautiful kind of similarity to a lot of, uh, like, Jean-Paul Sartre's stuff to a novelist when you consider that the world you live in and the context you create is your world, Right. Yeah. When the characters themselves lose that context, they lose themselves. Yeah, I guess the world, in a sense, is is only what we perceive it as. Yeah. Uh, in, in, or at least in how we experience it. Um, yeah, I was actually watching a video recently. Uh, there's a really great uh, YouTube channel that it's uh, like philosophy majors or philosophy students examining aspects of pop culture. And oh, cool. uh, they were doing like a deep dive on Alan Moore uh, and talking about how Alan Moore was delving into the, you know, what we, like, how the world is only really what we perceive it as, like what yeah. kind of is processed through our own brains. And that's every everybody's world is individual to themselves in a, in a way. You know what I mean? Um, For sure. Through like... And it's, everything is context. Um, 
but yeah, I uh, that's oh man, this it's so interesting. It's I I, I the more I think about it, the more like kind of freaked out I get. <laughs> when, oh yeah, when I think about this book, it's uh, yeah, it's and it's it also just made me really kind of think about all the items and the things in my life that hold such incredible like uh, emotional significance and they're they're almost certain things are almost like anchors or anchors to past memories or to um, key aspects of my life you know unfortunately these days I think everybody can say their computers and their phones are Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, um, but then other things too. So, like for yourself, I would say maybe like a camera. Yeah. You know, because you're you are. Um, it's you, very true. Yeah, it, you know, for uh, a filmmaker such as yourself, you know, like something like that holds a lot of intrinsic significance. Um, even though, at the end of the day, it is just this assemblage of yeah of things, right? It's it's true, and there's so much self-expression when it comes to stuff like that too. Like, a camera is a really good you know example of that. If I if I lost context on, I think for me the biggest one would probably be film. Right. Just because it's something that I'm so passionate about and something that I'm I'm invested in, in terms of like, you know, the camera is important, but it's also so much the development of it, the processing, the way it all works, like you know, setting up the the mercury bath, doing the whole thing. Like, there's there's something so you know it feels human right to do things like that and i think the irony you know specifically of of camera and filming on film versus digital there's a real sense that you lose part of the soul of what you're doing when you lose the context even though in reality it's it's the same you know mm-hmm. you get the same kind of image you get the same kind of quality you can do whatever you want to the image digitally and it, it provides so much more you know, options and it's cheaper, mm-hmm. but there's certainly a level of um, connection that I think you can lose to the work, um, which is, you know, a huge reason I'm always, you know, you know me, I'm always involved in like workshops and things like that, that are, are more focused on the, uh, the manual process because, you know, that speaks to me. Right. There's, there's something, you know, to be said, I think about our connection to things that is innately human. Um, we're very bad at, you know, people, this whole trend, the minimalism trend, <laughs> you know, we've had conversations about this yeah. before, about it's how it's, uh, it's, it's not for me. No. Um, <laughs> and at, at the end of the day, I know it's not for you either. And, and, you know, I think that's a, a kind of a good thing because my association with things, whether that is something like my, you know, my eight millimeter camera or my, my old Pentax, you know, or my ridiculous collection of, of films or, half of my nerdy shit like I, yep. I just i love it because it represents something for me and for sure you know, this book the the fear of losing what all those things mean is much worse than losing those things oh absolutely uh yeah i i some i i've met people and i've known people who live that minimalist lifestyle where they you know they can basically live their life uh, with a, with a backpack full of a few yeah. things, and they just travel. And when I think about that, I get anxiety because I yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's so many things that 
are so I feel like intrinsically linked to who I am, to what I like to do, and to how I live my life that uh, I guess it it could be seen as a weakness, but that's just who I am, and I guess how uh, uh, how I've come to be, and I feel like you know you yourself and so many other people. And especially nowadays, I feel like we we cling to these we cling to things that give us comfort, that give us meaning. Yeah. Because I don't know, I've, more and more it's hard to to find maybe uh, meaning out in the world. Uh, in yeah, especially in a time where you can't really do much. That's like exactly now. it, right? Like, yeah, uh, if there's anything that you know the the pandemic and and being involved in in all this has taught me through it it's like you know now that my job has kind of transitioned from being in the studio all the time always being in a cinema like being able to really interact with my work i feel like the my connection to my work has gotten a lot less as time has gone on but ironically my connection to things that i value on a personal level whether that is like um we discussed this after we read um the plague, but it, it was this whole sense of being able to just go out and get a cup of coffee, right. being able to go out and like exist in the world. But that all these things require context, and there, you know, there is a real sense of of a lack of context these days. I think for a lot of people, because all their context is gone. Right. You know, if if you rely purely on the social aspect of life, and you're always, you know, if you're always a so, you know, I was to be fair i'm pretty bad for this too but i can definitely see a time in my life where my social life was more important to me than the things that i'm now very glad returned to my life because of this pandemic right. because of the whole situation um but if if all of the context you had was going to events and being socially involved and all this kind of stuff that's great but it, it seriously was detrimental now <laughs> like yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um one one thing i found charming about the uh, about the book is the certain details that the author gives uh regarding like j- just color text for the character's life or she'll have memories and some of the things that she writes are so weirdly particular and specific I'm like it just feels like somebody's actual memories somebody's actual experiences because they're so innocuous and just so weirdly specific um I I think I have an example yeah um uh, let's see here or maybe not maybe I don't have an example here uh (laughs) Uh, but yeah, just, uh, uh, just some of the memories she had with her mom or e- even some of the, some of the yeah. items that, cause her mom was one of the few people who was able to remember things even when things had disappeared. Yes. And, uh, it, that's one of the, one of the very first things we read in the book and her mom will hide these items that are precious because they are representative of things now gone from the world to almost everybody and i don't know i feel like other authors would have chosen more uh, items with more gravitas maybe or more 
uh, immediate symbolic uh, significance, but the the author chooses these items that are just, uh, like I said, innocuous, just things you would never really bat an eye at, or you. And maybe that's the point: is there's things that now that they are made uh, almost extinct, these things that we wouldn't even bat an eye at or just consider garbage are almost these relics. Yeah. Which is I found so incredible and, and really interesting to the, the their their significance and how we view them in the context of this book completely changes. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I think at the end of the day, like there's like we're talking about with context and, and how we have this relationship to items. I really loved that you know, the initial start to the book and I think it really drew me in because of just how specific some of it was. Um Especially because, you know, when her father disappears and, you know, when her mother's no longer in the picture, all these objects that still exist in that place, she doesn't even have the context of them. She only knows that they were important. Right. And there's this, like, it's so sad. <laughs> like, it's so profoundly sad. Yeah. Um, which is is part of the ironic joy of this book, I think, is that there's a real sense of it being honest um i I think that is another huge difference between like a more western approach to writing a novel like this is that they in this instead of choosing things that are purely universal they go for specificity right and it also makes you really live in the shoes of this person instead of 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 an everyman because she's not an everyman she's a novelist she's she is doing better than most of the other people in the book yeah you don't even know her name she also no. feels like uh, she also feels like one of the uh, younger people on the island too. Yeah. It feels like almost everybody else is is older, which yeah. um, I don't know. There's there's not much. I mean, a lot of the ch- it's there's not much examples of youth or or, or children or ch- children being able to be children. You know, it all just it feels like a place uh, that is without vitality yes that's true especially in how they they describe so many people in the book as old i felt like yeah there was such a pervasive quality of decay um, absolutely which i think is very much in line with what you know the author is is saying with the book um but again i i'm still such a fan of of how it's so left open to interpretation yeah um, yeah i just i Frankly, I really, really enjoyed this novel. Me too. Um, and it was such a pleasure to uh, to pick it up again and really kind of critically examine it after reading it for the first time just over a year ago. Um, I'm curious. I wanted to ask you because uh, they're, the main character is a novelist, and throughout the book there are excerpts from her writing. Yes. It, it actually – I mentioned Alan Moore earlier. It did remind me of Watchmen. It absolutely did. Me too. The first time I picked it up, it felt like all those lovely little excerpts of the uh, the Black Pearl, I believe it was. Oh, the, the Black Freighter. The Black Freighter, yes. Yeah. The, the lo- lovely little excerpts that you have of the, the comic book within a comic book. And this kind of – it does the same thing. Yeah. Um, but albeit in a little bit more of a subtle way. I did appreciate that the first time that that happens in uh, the Memory Police – it doesn't give you context. It's just a change of font. Yeah. And you're like, ooh. You're like, okay, cool. Like, this is, yeah. I, you know, I often talk about media that um, 
that holds your hand. And I think that this is a great example of media that really does the opposite for the absolute benefit of the story. Yeah. Um, I find now that there's a lot of things that come out in like, you know, there's a trap in, in this kind of fiction that it can be, you know, a lot of young adult novels can come out in this and there's a real sense of, uh, kind of beating people's heads over with the idea of this, you know, world building, etc. You know, things like the Hunger Games or that it, that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong; those books are not bad. I just think at the end of the day, there's something a little bit more mature about stuff like this. That when it doesn't hold your hand, it lets you kind of go through the motions and live the story as a story. You know, it's a nice reminder that maturity doesn't have to be including, you know, any kind of explicit content or any kind of like things that would kind of throw off a younger reader. Right. Maturity is about understanding because this story has nothing that I would consider like adult particularly. But at the same time, the understanding of the subject matter is what really sells it as being a more mature work than a lot of the stuff in this genre that's coming out now. Yeah, I'm really curious because I, I, one thing I really malign about a lot of contemporary media, books, movies, whatever, is that there, there, there seems to be this this need for there to be answers and there to be yep. uh, a conclusion, and I think that could be really detrimental to. <clears throat> to people among many other things where like a book's like book like this it leaves it open and it leaves it ambiguous and it just there's no there's no uh easy way around it like you just have to contemplate it you have to think about it and you have to bring your own experience and your own uh your, yeah your own ideas to the fore instead of just taking what's been given to you and i For think sure. i think a, a, a that a lack of that is actually very um i think it's really doing an injustice to people in my opinion i absolutely agree i i think that there's a certain level of you know it is hand-holding it, it's almost placating a little bit in a lot of um, modern especially you know science fiction media where you know the people are more concerned about the lore than the themes yeah people are a lot more invested in you know kind of what all of it should be in the context of this world that you've built and to be fair i think we've gotten to this place because world building has become such an important quality in all these things but i think we forget that all the greats like all the classic literature that that really kind of started this idea of lore didn't hold your hand you know you go back yeah. to lord of the rings you go back to any any you know call it cthulhu etc etc any cosmic horror yeah. it all has lore that fits in with itself but that's not the forefront of the story right you know what i mean you don't you know even in film you don't go back to the original three star wars films and watch it because of just the world building you watch it because it's it's well written and there's right. good characters and it's things that the themes are what drive that right it's not you know, the the Battle of Helm's Deep in the books in Lord of the Rings is like two pages. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not the point. It's not the point. The right. point of it is is it's about oppression. It's about a sense of self. It's about destiny. It's about not repeating the sins of the past. 
Right. And that's what's so good about it. It doesn't give you all the answers. It doesn't wrap everything up in a nice bow. It gives you a mosaic to pull that from. Right. I feel like media now, even in all these franchises, you know, as time has kind of gone on, things get a little bit simplified in the thematic department and expanded upon in the, you know, in the just basic, like, plot piece by piece, make it as complicated as you can so that people feel like they have something to be thrown around with and then tell them every turn that's going to happen before it happens, and there you go. That's right. That's modern science fiction, which is... You know, this is why I'm so excited to finally have Dune come out um, this oh, year, is because I really hope, I really hope it is incredible. Yeah, as as that novel. Yeah, but I mean, that, that's also another yeah. thing. I uh, like um, one that comes to mind is uh, Blade Runner, and yes. I think Blade Runner is a key proponent of that. The idea of there are certain things that are just not answered. There are ideas that are proposed, like the unicorn. Yeah. And you're like you're left wondering like wait, what? And you have to go yeah. back and you have to just think on it and and that's that. Um it's and, pure interpretation. And you know what? That's I have to give 2049 credit here because at the end of the day, that film came out a film, a sequel to a film that in reality really I did not think it should have ever had a sequel. Right. And then when 2049 came out and it kept all the ambiguity from the first one, yeah. and added more and it made you think more and kind of put your own kind of opinion on the whole story. What an incredible idea that was. And isn't it a shame that nobody saw it? Yeah. Like, oh, God. I That really, that hurts me. I know. <laughs> As if I needed oh. to hate the world even more. The yeah. fact that people just didn't appreciate this movie that is probably one of the best sequels ever made. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. It's it's frustrating. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. And that's the thing. I. You know. That was a film that was made for people like us. <laughs> that was that was a film for people who loved the original and and wanted that. It wasn't gonna kickstart a franchise anytime. Which is for the best. Yeah. I don't you know, know if I want least, a franchise. No. At least we can sleep soundly knowing there's no. You know. Blade Runner baby Yoda living his best life yeah. somewhere out there. You know, we don't need a tiny replicant. We don't need small Harrison Ford living his life. Um, oh, man. We, we have enough already. <laughs> that we do. We're too much. Yeah. Too much stuff. Too much. Uh, is So is there anything else you wanted to bring up about this book? Because I feel like we covered a fair amount of ground on it. Honestly, I'm I'm super happy with this. Frankly, like I'm so glad you enjoyed this one. Um, yeah, man. There's, I, there's, yeah. yeah there's so many. Uh, I think, like, I don't know. There were some cool moments I wanted to bring up, like uh, the part when uh, calendars disappear and it remains in winter. Like, yes. time oh. seems to stand still. I was like, wow, that is such. I don't even know. I don't even know how it really like factors into the into like a lot of like the uh, ideas that we were talking about, except that it's just such a cool. So cool! It's, oh. it, it, I felt like that was almost the author taking the uh, the logic and the the way the world in her book worked and just playing with it a little bit and being, oh, this would be yeah. cool. Like that, it, it felt like less of uh, making a statement and more of just uh, playing. Yeah, I, I think there's plenty of moments in the book like that that are just they're less about the theme and they're more about like 
you know, that's what makes you believe that this is a real thing. But it's like you were saying about dream logic, you know, yeah. when they get stuck in winter because the calendars can't change. Oh, that is such so an cool. epitome of like a nightmare. It's such the epitome of like, it's so visual too, yeah. right? Like I was saying with the snow, there's this lovely sense of like things being covered up in this white sheet. Yeah. And that's that's so dark, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Oh my god. The uh there's that and one other thing I also really liked was how the uh the memory police don't have names. They're identified by these arbitrary symbols. Yeah. On their on, uniforms. On their coats. Yeah, and yeah. I almost felt like that was because they are more objects with a function rather than actual people. It's true. Um and it's totally true. And so they're they're kind of Rather than have names and personalities, they're broken down to the very essence of what, like, of of just the bare minimum of being able to uh, be, um, like, what's the word? Uh, uh, not, I, like, the the bare minimum of being able to to be identified, almost more so as like as units rather than as individual people. That that's yeah. how I kind of saw it. I don't know. I don't know how you saw it. It's a very it's such a great visual of just Oh, it totally is. I think like as much as I really hope this book doesn't get adapted because it's so much about, you know, being in someone's head and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. At the same point, I think this could make an excellent film. Like I, I could, really yeah. do. I could see it being um, a really great indie film. I could see um uh what uh What's the studio that did like The Witch? Oh, A24. A24. This is like A24. Boom. This is, they got. It's true. This is perfect. They could do it. I I think Film 4 could do it. You know, basically, like anyone who was involved with The Lobster, I think Yorgos Yorgos Lathmos, I think that's his name. Oh my God. He would do a phenomenal job with this. Yeah, no, there's there's that. Oh, yeah. I can totally see him doing this. Yeah. Yeah. My. Uh, speaking of companion um, things to this, I actually didn't have a companion album, but my companion film to this was actually going to be The Lobster. I could um, totally see that. The, just the the visual metaphors. Yes. And yeah. oh yeah, and it it uh, yeah it, it also operates on that weird dream logic. It does, and in a way that like it feels so real, and they're living in this world, and these characters are so wrapped up in it. There's this this pervasive sense that they can never escape. From the way things are, you know, and they both have this just absolutely stunning ending. And it's all it's they're both, you know, they both have this love story that plays secondary to what's actually going on and then becomes the primary like it's they're such good companions, I felt, um, oh, which is man. why, yeah, I, I didn't go with an album this week. I, I instead opted to to go for the film. And I think that that's the one. Absolutely, I can definitely. That's a that's a great idea. Um, I think that is is like a perfect companion to this. Um, oh man. Okay, well, I I I I don't have an album. I had a song. Sure. Um, so I guess we'll move on to that. Uh, the the yeah, one yeah. song I had is uh, a song called "Stages" by a band called Forty Watt Sun, and it is a whopping. Sixteen minutes and twelve seconds. Uh, it's it's long, but uh, it's this very nice. It's uh, like a forty watt son is, is this band that 
when I listen to it, it is this perfect amalgam of exquisite beauty and just like heart-wrenching melancholy. I uh, I love this band, but I have to. I have to pick the pick my moments for listening to it because it just I don't know it it puts me in a mode of existential thought and just thinking about my life and and you know just yeah re- reflection exactly it just puts you in yeah. this mode that is uh, I feel this book also put me in in the same mood where I just had to think about things in my life and and oh what would it be like if they were just taken from me or disappeared you know if um, Man, dude, if novels disappeared, like, what the hell? What would we do? I know there's still, yeah. like, a lot a, a lot of other stuff that colors our life, but if books were taken, oh, taken out of our lives, like, it would just be unbearable. Yeah. And no, to, already, to, to already have that, the, the history of having them in our life before and then to lose them, like, I, no way, man.
Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, like you say, there's this certain, there's this pathos of, of things. And if all that gets taken away, you know, in novels would be a huge, what a blow that would be. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. I, yeah, that's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely take a listen. That sounds like phenomenal, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's a very calm song. It, it just, it totally, I feel, um, emulates the feeling of, um, I can listen to it. I can just imagine the island and just the island yeah. seems, especially in the beginning before the snow, it seems like a very serene, beautiful place. And I just imagine uh, a very uh, picturesque Japanese uh, um, coastal town, you know, and uh, yeah. it's it's very beautiful, but also with this underlying darkness of, you know, in the case of this book of these things disappearing in this looming presence of the memory police, it's just. I feel it's a it's a very um, fitting companion to uh, to this book, and uh, I love them both. I, I very 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 yeah. much enjoyed this book. So thank you for recommending it. Oh man, I'm I'm so glad to hear. And honestly, like, what a pleasure it was to pick this up again, and and obviously to talk with you about it again. It's so nice uh, to do this. So thank you so much, dude. Absolutely, and uh, we will return with another book soon. Yes, so we shall. Stay tuned, everybody, and hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you. If you made it this far, you've made it through yet another episode of the Books They Speak podcast. Are you all right? Seek help if required. If you want to connect with us, follow us on Instagram at at the books they speak underscore podcast, as well as us personally at at Dayton Julius and at Doomscribe on Instagram. Thank you for listening and read on.